0: Welcome to Payday, a podcast focused on the modern employee pay experience. We'll be talking global payroll, payments, on-demand pay, and all the employee experiences in between. I'm your host, David Barak. On this episode, I'm joined by Demetrius Giorgio and Linda Overton. They're two industry experts that are examining new technologies and their impact on payroll, payments, and HR. So I sat down with both of them to talk about blockchain, smart contracts, data custodianship, and so much more.
1: The smart contract in the context of payroll can actually be used to take the employment contract that one has and convert it into a predictable, repeatable transaction. transaction. In essence, instead of having to run payroll every payday, or pay week for an individual, that smart contract is triggered by the conditions that are embedded into that smart contract.
2: We have emerging uh, payroll organizations that are promoting that they use blockchain today. So one of those leaders in our industry who are providing services using blockchain. So this is not, you know, no longer a concept. This is reality.
0: Hi, Demetrius. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the show. Would you mind introducing yourselves to our
1: audience? Thank you, David. This is Demetrius Papagiorgio, Global Payroll Advisory Leader for Accenture's Talent and Organization Practice.
2: I'm Linda Overton, Director of Shared Services at DXC Technology, and it's a great pleasure to be here today and part of the Payday podcast.
0: Awesome. From the very first conversation with both of you, it was really clear that this topic has intense interest and in rapid ev- evolution. And in fact, I know you guys just came off a similar presentation at the APA event, you know, a really great organization that I think does wonders for the payroll profession. Now, there are fundamental changes coming to the employee data, payroll, HR, and some new technologies like blockchain that are enabling um, the role of payroll and HR to change. So I was really thinking of how we'd start this conversation. And the simplest way I was able to understand the change when I was talking to both of you is by focusing on the concept of data custodianship. So let's start there with the shift in data custody. In the relationship between employers, vendors, and employees, who are the data custodians today and how is that changing? And I'll open that up to both of you uh, to jump in and kind of give your perspective.
1: Data custody, as it stands today, is a task that it's the responsibility of a, of a person, whether it's an employee um, or, or an individual. It is a task that it's uh, part of an employer. And then it's a task for all the vendors that are servicing that employer. So if you think of how data propagates today across systems and vendors, there is multiple versions of the same data being hosted and safeguarded in multiple locations. The concept that we are introducing as part of the evolution in technology is that data custody will move to the employee exclusively and that employee will then authorize individual companies uh, or vendors to have access to said data whenever they need access to that data for processing something on their behalf.
2: Thanks, Dimitri, and totally agree. I think there may be a little bit of a a false uh, sense of security that the employer is the key and primary source for the data, because we know uh, when you have a new addition to your family and you have a birth of a child, really the first place that you're sharing that news is on Facebook, it's with your family, And many times the employer is lagging. And so I completely agree with Demetrius that, again, data custodians are the employer, and then it's distributed to all of the uh, partners that require the information, and then it's governed by many uh, country and global uh, privacy regulations. But really, the data does belong to the individual. And I think you'll hear a little bit more about that. Um, today, but we, as employers, spend millions of dollars on ensuring that data is current, it's accurate. Uh, but it really, it truly does belong to the employee.
0: What's the role that some of the other organizations play in this? Right, the financial institutions, like the banks, that uh, hold employee and you know the information for my accounts or your accounts. What is the role of um, benefits providers? in today's model of data custodianship?
1: Well, I, I think to some degree they are expected to be consumers of the data because they need it in order for them to be able to service organizations mm-hmm. in addition to being uh, safeguards of uh, said data. Uh, they are expected to uh, maintain uh, proper um, procedures, firewalls, uh, governance of said data in order to protect your, uh, your, safe, uh, your, your well-being uh although we have heard in uh, numerous times uh that uh, that data has been exposed to people that have meant to do uh, uh inappropriate things with it
0: yeah and you're seeing the uh, just the sheer number of cyber crimes happening in the world today and so so i think linda you've sort of alluded to some of the problems that exist within this custodianship model so what what are some of these concrete problems that that exist in today's model of data custodianship
2: i think first is uh the source and ensuring the source is uh timely it's accurate again that we we have the most current information and then it is how we distribute it through our infrastructure how we protect it how we mask it how we ensure that again there is privacy and it's not being Mishandled, misused, but also that commitment to our employees is ensuring that our third parties, whether that is a benefit provider, a travel partner for business travel, uh, and even for survey information, that we're protecting it, uh, especially with global organizations. It's, it's very important to understand GDPR and how the information is being utilized. In our large mega systems, data is flowing each and every day. And it's a tremendous obligation and commitment, you know, to manage the data with the highest level of integrity and security.
0: Linda, if I could just summarize some of the problems you're talking about, this idea is that there's actually a false sense of who the data custodian is. We've sort of bestowed this responsibility on the employer, but they are not usually the best source for new information or updates to that information. And then maybe the second component to it is that even as today's data custodian for employee information, organizations are extremely vulnerable to cybersecurity threats, to data breaches, where the the ultimate you know, victim of that crime is the employee who has trusted the employer with that data. Is that fair?
2: I think that's David a, a very fair statement. Employers are spending millions of dollars, as I mentioned. On cybersecurity, and perhaps we're even a little bit late to the game. We see headlines each and every day around data being stolen, and of course, the recent uh, pipeline example impacting uh, so many individuals around the globe, and especially on the East Coast, um, it truly impacted the stock market. It impacted our ability uh, to to travel, and you know, data hackers um, are more than just stealing data they're actually, you know, stealing our livelihoods and our ability to, you know, really pursue all the daily interests that we have. But what I wanted to add as well from a data security perspective, as employers do spend millions on data, um we're only as good as the hackers, you know, that have access to similar tools and actually even have more advanced tools and I think that's really the challenge for so many employers, especially perhaps smaller employers that are dependent on third parties.
0: Yeah, and uh, Mitres, we were just talking about this idea of you know the, the challenges in today's model. What is the model that you are envisioning for the future of data custodianship?
1: To explain the model, we first have to understand how data propagates today across vendors and systems. Every time that there is an integration, An importation of data of any kind, there is a new version of that data. That means in a server somewhere, we are saving what we consider to be accurate and timely data. And then it becomes the responsibility of the parties involved uh, in that exchange of data to ensure that that data is always accurate. Uh, that, of course, creates the uh, present state of data, which means that we will have our social security, uh, for example, it probably exists right now in over a thousand systems because uh, it's, it's not just a payroll company. It is the company that employs you. It's the companies that used to employ you. It's anybody that you have applied for uh, credit for and, and, and many other ways where somebody has had access to your social security. The shift that we are recommending uh, to take place is to utilize uh, emerging technologies such as blockchain to create a single source of truth for that data that is being visited by individuals that need to have access to it, but it is not being downloaded. It is not being owned by them and it is owned by the individual or the employee in this case.
2: Well, within our systems as well, I think there's a high level of integrity, um, at least intended within all of our systems, but there are still too many manual touch points. I think within all of our ecosystems, uh, we want to have data flow automatically, seamlessly, from the entry point of the source all the way through the infrastructure and disseminated to our third parties. But we have many manual touch points and that iteration of touching data Uh, we're losing quality and integrity each and every day and that continues to impact all of our deliverables impacts the employee experience and also impacts the services that they receive so there again we still have too many manual touch points today in our environments
1: you're absolutely right that manual touch points do uh, introduce risk uh, to the data custody process and data quality uh, but I will also add that even if we get to the utopic state that everything is integrated and everything is propagated timely and uh, real time data, we will still have concerns around data retention and who potentially could gain access to that data, even if it's flowing through systems and stored properly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there was a really good analogy um, you guys used offline with me about the data on my phone. And the permissions around it, whether it's geodata or even some of the health data. Um, I thought that really crystallized the point for me. Can can you talk about that a little bit, because I think it's easy to understand.
2: From a geodata, I think one of the more recent examples uh, that I have from an employment tax perspective is hearing about individuals who are working in California, but they may have indicated they work in Nevada, but California is actually using mobile phones to understand where the majority of the calls are actually being originated and then sending individuals in california personal income tax bills so i think that you know again as the employer we assume we're the holder of that data we assume we know where the employees are living and working um, but really there are other sources that may have more accurate information and using geotracking and um, other mechanisms you know, have a higher reliability.
1: Linda, I will add to that, and I think this is a phenomenal example uh, that you shared, but I will add to that, that um, personal data in general, not just employee data, uh, is the new oil, and payroll, I think, is the new oil field. So understanding that everybody wants access to that data, because if you will notice, when you drive around on your phone and you have one of those driving apps like Waze, you will see things popping up that say, you know, there is a store close by that, according to your interests, has things on sale. And that, that means that somebody is actively mining data with your preferences, with your uh, previous browsing history and real time providing feedback to you, potentially driving consumer behaviors. Same thing, I think, exists from a taxation and from an employment perspective where we can start utilizing said data not only for paying people appropriately, but also exercising performance and talent management.
2: Yes, we've always promoted that we have a goldmine of data within HR and payroll, and now we see how it can be utilized, and if we would channel that for our leaders to have predictive analytics, so turning the data you know, into information that can help drive the business, help drive our talent strategies, help drive results, is really the the richness as Demetrius is describing.
0: And as this data starts to shift and the custodianship model changes where the employee owns all that data, you know, we'll talk about keys and smart contracts when we get into blockchain discussions. but. How is the relationship of vendors then changing as well, right? So up to now, we've just talked about the employer and the employee, but there are payroll organizations, benefits organizations, you know, and, and many others that are currently involved in data movement, data management around that, you know, employee-employer contract. So what role does the vendor play or how does it change in this model? That, that I thought that was a really interesting thing that you guys had illustrated in the past
1: in essence vendors become consumers of said data a trusted uh, party that has access to the data uh, and that access is conditional and provisioned by the owner of the data which is in this case the employee Uh, they always have access to the latest and greatest information there is no question uh, whether or not the data is correct Uh, assuming that the person who enters the data uh, knows what they're entering. Uh, But in in essence, the ownership and thereby the responsibility of keeping the data uh, accurate and timely is always with the source of the data, the origin of the data, which is the employee.
0: In in that situation, a, a payroll vendor like Cloud Pay or any other Essentially, source all the employee data from the employee themselves, right? Their bank details, all the information necessary to process their payroll. They get that information from the employee directly without needing to go through the employer. And then that information, I guess, in subsequent roles, if the employee moves to another organization where the payroll company is the same company, it actually eliminates the need to go get new data because you're kind of following this employee along.
1: You're absolutely correct. Uh, In essence, Cloud Pay would be uh, sourcing data from two different sources. One would be the employee with all the relevant information that are needed from the employee, such as demographic information, uh, dependents, and so forth. And they will also be sourcing from the employer as to what the employee needs to be paid if it is a situation where the employee actually receives different pay on a weekly basis, if they are an hourly employee, or they potentially are receiving something in the form of a smart contract, if they're a salaried employee.
2: Yes, and if we think of that example today, there are already models that are using this uh, custodianship. When we think of all of our credit records, And who's managing our credit records uh, on behalf of all of the reporting agencies, you know, there are three or four majority credit organizations who manage our credit scores. And if we want to not allow access for, you know, another a loan or perhaps any other type of insight into that credit record, we lock it. So we as an employee lock that record and we say, no, unfortunately, we're not going to provide access to any of the other consumers. And so we're using that model to indicate that there is, again, some interaction, but the employee ends up as the data custodian, the owner, and they direct what information can be shared, when can they, when do I unlock it? When can that information be accessed? And as Demetrius mentioned previously, all that history is stored there as well. So they know exactly who's accessed it at one point in time and what they have and then when they can uh, turn that key to unlock it. Another example of being the data custodian, you know, would be an example of how we use our apps on our phones. Um, Many of them are employment related and we actually provide the permissions, would I like my benefit provider uh, to have access to my health information? You know, What about that HSA provider and wellness provider? Do I provide all of my uh, personal statistics around my weight and my health and additional information more so than I've even shared with my employer? so there are so many ancillary applications that we're using and they're applicable right now especially being employment driven and we have the ability today to turn them on and turn them off and to demetrius point you know we'll have thousands of those in the future we already have hundreds today so you can think of how our data is being propagated among all of these uh, applications and the importance is the ability to understand who's using the data how they're using it and myself as a consumer to be able to have that on and off switch.
1: If we were to think in a, in a futuristic manner how this permissioning would work and potentially using our mobile phones, instead of Cloud Pay receiving the information from the employer or us once uh, every you know um, every time that there is a change, think of that Provisioning happening dynamic every time all the data that Cloud Pay needs in order to calculate paycheck from us, um, with a prompt coming to our phone saying, Do you authorize Cloud Pay access to your digital persona from an employee perspective to calculate your paycheck? And it could be something that uh, it, it would be a simple prompt or it would be just a simple notification with an understood uh, kind of agreement that if within 15 minutes you don't object to that, Cloud Bay has access to do what it needs to do in order to um, uh, process uh, the, the, the paycheck. So I, I think it's just a, a shift in the way that data is exchanged and handled today. We are much more in a replication world today. And I think what we are recommending through the use of technology in the future is real time, data on demand, not stored, not saved, but owned and processed as needed.
0: And I think you've talked about the idea of global employee ID right, as one of the things that will enable this or one of the outputs of this, where the same way we each have a unique social security number here in the US and there are parallels in other parts of the world, you'd have this Global Employee ID that follows you around and and essentially becomes one of the keys to gaining access to your data. Can you
1: talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, I'm currently working with clients that are exploring the concept of Global Employee ID because they realize that it's very difficult for them to propagate across their various countries the data for employees. Uh, without having that underlying unifying common uh, denominator from a, an ID perspective, and I would, argue, you know, often the argument is everybody has an employment ID, but that employment ID is not necessarily what the vendors are using to identify that employee. So, in in a perfect scenario, the vendors and the employers would all have the same ID, the same point of reference to the employee thereby making it extremely easy to reconcile that they have accurate data, that they're talking about the right person, and regardless of the whereabouts of that person, they're processing things correctly. And,
0: and Linda, I, I know you've led a lot of organizations through change, and some of these changes that we're talking about may take decades. And you know there'll be firms that lead the way, and there'll be others that maybe tell, take small steps towards this future. How will this change take place in an organization? It seems like a major cultural change. What do you think?
2: Oh, most definitely. It will take um, decades. Again, as I mentioned, there will be early adopters, uh, and we know there are adopters today using uh, blockchain and using smart contracts, uh, ensuring that the employee is the data custodian, but they're definitely on the leading edge. And the first is education. Uh, In doing a quick search on Blockchain education, there are over 2 million returns, and every university around the world is now offering courses and executive leadership on blockchain. So it is entering our organizations through training, through education, uh, but there is a significant amount of change to embrace, to adopt, and also it needs to flow into, of course, strategy. Because without a strategic plan on how we're going to adopt uh, the new concepts and how we're going to integrate them into our strategic plans, because it will change the way that we work. It'll change our views on how we uh, provide services. It will change our infrastructure. It will change um, every aspect of our business and organization. Again, hopefully, it'll be much better in the future and much less. I'll say transaction-based data uh, processing, Um, but it will be a tremendous change. So education is key and strategic planning, of course, uh, to introduce uh, the new plans. What do
0: you think is going to be driving the change? Do you think risk mitigation, especially as concerns around cybersecurity bubble up or, or even pressures from employees, maybe new generations of workers that enter the workforce and have a different relationship to data privacy. Do you think some of those will be catalysts for this change?
2: Oh, most definitely. There will be some, again, conservative players in the markets. We know that GDPR and other uh, regulatory aspects of managing data, you know, will continue to be very strong. And, you know, we need to continually be Understanding, you know, what are the risks and ensuring that we're mitigating the risk, but also that comes through the education of understanding this is actually a more secure method of working and managing individual information, uh, transferring some of that ownership, uh, which is going to be a huge education and cultural change. And uh, as and, uh, cybersecurity uh, was an emerging uh, trend and critical business need in the last 20 years as we look to the future Blockchain is going to be taking that role and blockchain is truly the new cybersecurity as we look to the future
1: And Linda, I will add that uh, for, for those of us that watched uh, Parts of the hearings uh, that were taking place in uh, Congress uh, On uh, cybersecurity and uh, Facebook and uh, how data is being used it became evident that in many ways, uh, the regulatory bodies don't necessarily understand enough to be able to properly litigate and legislate uh, on on how data custody needs to take place on a go-forward base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there is a, as we have digital natives becoming mainstream in the workforce, uh, and, and baby boomers are exiting and, you know, in, individuals that are of uh, generations that are that were not necessarily brought up as digital natives. I think the, the demand for um, ownership of data by those individuals is going to increase, but the regulatory body has to very, very quickly catch up and be able to understand and legislate accordingly.
0: Dimitris, do you think there are certain regions of the world, countries that will embrace this change
1: first? I think that it is easier for countries that have homogeneous populations that are used to be much more governed and, and, and regulated. Uh, and I'll use the example of uh, Switzerland or uh, Finland, that are countries that have uh, the relationship between the citizen and the country is, is very, very well defined. And there is a certain level of trust and understanding between the two, I think countries that actually have that ability and are more advanced in that space will probably lead the race in terms of creating that trusted relationship between regulatory bodies and uh, consumers. I think countries that don't have the same uniformity in terms of uh, beliefs or trust uh, into the system hmm. will be laggards in, in getting there.
0: And it's interesting to think about that relationship and the trust that's required. Do you think in in these less homogenous developed countries, unions will have a role to play in changing um, this
1: relationship? I think unions, um, in the context that we use unions in the U.S. or works councils uh, outside the U.S., will always have a vested interest in the safeguarding and uh, appropriate usage of employee data. At the same time, I would um, also highlight the fact that I don't think that most uh, individuals that are staffing those unions or thinking and protecting employees uh, and, and their well-being necessarily comprehend everything that they would need to comprehend in order to appropriately advocate for the best interest of the employee.
0: And it's just interesting for me to think about this entire change almost as a way to sidestep the arm race in cybersecurity that we're now starting to see, right? It's it, it's just interesting to see some organizations really make significant changes and start investing and prioritizing um, their infrastructure around cyber crimes and protecting themselves against this. This seems like a way to get around it in some ways, right? By moving towards uh, blockchain and some of the new technology and changing the m- model around data ownership. Is that, a, is that the right way of, to think about it or, or, or am I oversimplifying it?
1: I, I think you're spot on. It is a way to mitigate and uh, avoid in some cases uh, the spend that it's uh now being expected to take place from organizations as well as employees because in every organization that there is an allocation of budget towards cybersecurity and uh, prevention of any malicious attempts to gain access to systems or data and that same movement is is also happening at the individual level where consumers like you and I are subscribing to services whether it's a credit bureau or an agency that monitors uh, the dark web and other areas where potentially they could be risk for your individual uh, data. Uh, And we subscribe and spend along those lines uh, money to prevent uh, harm from coming our way through data. I think the shift that we are recommending around using a, a much more secure way of data propagation via blockchain will in many ways prevent that spend from taking place, alleviate that burden from both individuals as well as organizations, mm-hmm. while introducing a much more accurate, much more timely data exchange.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation, but I wanna tell you about a new service from CloudPay called Cloud Pay Now. It's the only global solution to earned wage access or on-demand pay as it's known in the U S and we've seen remarkable interest in this product from HR professionals, benefits and total rewards managers, and global payroll practitioners. We think it's really going to revolutionize how and when employees get paid. You can learn more about this new service and request a free demo for your company by visiting cloudpay.com now. And with that little break, Let's get back to our conversation with Linda and Demetrius. We opened by alluding to some of the new technologies that are going to enable these, right? So let's stay on blockchain specifically. Can you explain its potential impact on the employee employer relationship as it relates to data ownership? You know, Contextualize this technology a little bit, especially in its relationship to payroll and HR.
1: Absolutely. So, and uh, I'd like to use something that we're all familiar with, which is the WWW, the World Wide Web. Uh, right now, the World Wide Web uh, works with the uh, propagation of data uh, across multiple sites that it's stored in multiple servers. Uh, and every time that we actually view said data... It's either temporary data or permanent data if we decide to download it. Temporary data actually gets purged after um, uh, we use the, the data. In, in that present world, uh, data is actually propagated through um, replication. With blockchain being a new protocol that is actually going to change that data propagation, uh, it's the, the expectation is that we have something that can take data and create an immutable record, meaning that record cannot be changed by anybody other than the person who desires and has access to do so. Uh, and, and only for uh, building upon said data, so you can actually change your address, but your old address will never go away. Your social security cannot be changed because it's an immutable record. view unless there is extended circumstances. But the concept is that you're creating versions of data that are being secured in what is the blockchain. So every block of data becomes a contain- container that in- stores information for you or others, and then becomes part of the chain. And you cannot go back and edit said data. So blockchain is a protocol of data that creates the certainty that needs to be in place that once you commit the data, it cannot be accessed by anybody that doesn't have uh, authorization to do so. It creates an immutable record. Mm -hmm. So uh, unlike systems of today where I can go and edit, if I have the right access, I can go and change the hire date of somebody even though that person was hired seven years ago. I can go and, and and you know do whatever I need to do if I am an authorized user in the case of blockchain that higher date would never go away you can amend the higher date if there is a reason for it and then reference that new higher date but that old higher date would never disappear
0: so keys essentially allow you to determine which other entities or which other organizations have access to that block of data and then what role do smart contracts play in
1: this so in the, the key, you're absolutely right, is the authorization of uh, entities or parties to the data that you are willing to share or uh, commit uh, to a process. And uh, the smart contract in the context of payroll can actually be used to take the employment contract that one has and convert it into a predictable, uh, repeatable transaction. In essence, instead of having to run payroll every payday or pay week uh, for an individual, that smart contract is triggered by the conditions that em- are embedded into that smart contract saying that David has to get paid every Friday $1,500. And that $1,500 is executed without anybody having to prompt anything. And there is no reason for anybody to prompt anything unless there is a change.
0: Demetrius, I think this technology also will fundamentally change the skill set required of employees in an organization, right? So how is this going to drive the need to reskill talent? And what are going to become the critical skills necessary in the workforce to work with this kind of environment?
1: I think this aligns very well with uh, the concept of data uh, not necessarily being entered by people, and uh, in addition to that, by having individuals in HR and other functions of an organization focusing on value add activities versus transactional. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you look at how transactional work has evolved, we went from having individuals that were doing end to end of processes to segmentation of processes, creation of shared services, committing all commoditized type of services into those shared services and then having people that are actually catering to those transactional activities
2: Mm -hmm.
1: the evolution of this is if we remove the need for that administration for that transaction is that employees will now be focusing much more on the value add activities as well as the empathy a human interaction that has gone missing in our effort to find efficiency in operations
2: Talent and skills are very critical for our organizations, especially in human resources and payroll. And we've always had this gold mine of data, as we've mentioned earlier, but analytics is still key. So how we use that data, how we leverage it to be uh, proactive, to be predictive, to be more agile with the services that we're delivering will be key because as we move up the value chain of utilization of blockchain, our customers are going to be looking for uh, the benefits and the benefits are faster service delivery, more integrity in our data. You know, the value proposition is all about continued protection, privacy, uh, speed to market, speed to consumer, and our consumers and our employees are going to be asking even more of us. So as we prepare, and look out to the future. We already have very high demands, and you know, need to uh, need to align empathy and uh, personalization in our services within HR and payroll. And again, this evolution will actually continue to demand more of HR and payroll organizations. Um, and I think that's an important aspect that we haven't really focused on the servicing. So servicing should be more immediate. Our our customer service uh, SLAs will need to be even shorter in the future. I know today, as I work with organizations, I hear about you know a four hour SLA uh, for consumers. Of course, there's a real time uh, acknowledgement that uh, you know query was requested and perhaps a four hour SLA, but that will need to become even more real time in the future, as Demetrius mentioned uh, with the evolution of the technology, there may only be a short window to acknowledge an event and activity. And if there's any type of question, because there will be questions, yet there will be, you know, further understanding of how this will be utilized, how it'll impact other, you know, perhaps benefits, other programs. And it continues to, I'll say, um, evolve the, the customer service aspect of payroll and human resources.
1: And Linda, I, I will add uh, that we do respond to credit alerts or you know, consumer alerts that we receive from our banks or credit cards about potentially suspicious charges or something that may require our attention. So this is happening today to some degree. And I think we just need to get more accustomed to having this type of prompts on a daily basis.
2: I think that's a great example. As we were talking about real-time examples for blockchain, and the ability to turn on, turn off your bank card real time because there may be some fraud, or at least uh, you know pause it from any future charges, is is a great example of how this is being used today with consumers. But they may not understand some of the technology, you know, that's making this possible, and you know, so we'll continue to need to enhance our services, our customers expectations uh, will continue to drive competitive advantage for many employers.
0: And, you know, there's a really prominent case here of shared services and what role they play in the future, right? It's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to see what is going to be the skill set and the role of shared services in the future. Um, what, do you, what do you see and how do you see that developing?
1: I think services will always have a, a role because there will still be a need for insights to be derived mm-hmm. from uh, an organization and its employees. So, but much more of a strategic role versus uh, the present tactical transactional type of role. So it's more of an evolution of services that will focus on pre- presenting uh, the business uh, that search services is meant to uh, uh, provide value to, uh, predictive and prescriptive insights versus today's environment where most search services departments are focusing on the descriptive and diagnostic type of activities.
0: And shoes let's put you in the shoes of a global HR or global payroll practitioner today. What are you going to be doing today to prepare for this future?
1: For Everybody that wants to be part of the future, the first step would be make yourself aware of what these technologies uh, are able to do, how they may impact what we do today, and then start thinking through your pain points of everyday work and how potentially the change in, in thinking or processing could alleviate those pain points. There is no better person to provide solutions to one's problem than the person themselves, if they're allowing themselves to think beyond their day-to-day behavioral activities.
0: The idea that blockchain is already finding use cases within the HR and payroll space was really interesting to me. There were about four or five use cases that already uh, exist. Can you talk to that a little bit?
2: Oh, yes, we have emerging uh, payroll organizations that are promoting that they use blockchain today. So, one of those leaders in our industry who are providing services using blockchain. So, this is not, you know, no longer a concept. Um, this is reality. And if we even, you know, search on all of our large ERP providers, they all have a blockchain consulting practice. And so, this is reality. And in order to get to that level of consultancy, Um, There's been years in the making of, you know, understanding it internally. I know internal infrastructures are already leveraging blockchain and, you know, it's really available. We just as consumers have not had direct access to the inner workings of what's behind some of our large uh, infrastructure ERPs, you know, behind the scenes of our large uh, corporate organizations. Um, It's already been in play. Uh, We're just not quite aware from a consumer perspective.
0: Yeah, and and it's, you know, I I read up on the idea that, you know, we're using this already in employee background checks, right, Mm -hmm. in um, data security access, uh, payment and benefits already are using some elements of blockchain technology.
2: Yes, it definitely, again, adds efficiency for organizations. And so internally, they're uh, leveraging it to move data, to secure data, to, again, not be touching data. And it's really now that emergence of engaging the actual uh, consumer and the owner of the data, so changing that ownership. So the first steps already are in motion. That's very true. And
0: I think the fact that this future is, you know, maybe a few decades away does allow you to create a roadmap for upskilling and, you know, maneuvering within an organization to set yourself up for that future. I heard you mention, and I am definitely behind the skill set, that the average skill will be, I think it was Python knowledge you've said to me, right? And, and that's really more around becoming that data analyst and a person that could provide a business with that predictive insight. Is that right?
1: Python was used as an example uh, for an easy transitional uh, step into something that it's emerging and uh, definitely beneficial to many. Uh, and it's a transitional step from Excel. So if you have individuals that are able to do, um, I would say, whether it's macros or advanced Excel skills, their ability to migrate to Python is is much higher than having to pick up a completely new skill. Uh, But once you understand Python, then you can start expanding uh, beyond Python to all other emerging, I would say, either application languages or concepts that exist uh, in Mm -hmm. in infancy today, but in a very, very accelerated path to uh, coming to operation.
0: I'd love to bring this all together and specifically into the payroll function now. Can you describe the process redesign that payroll organizations will have to go through in preparation and once these changes take place, right? Can you kind of, you know, it's the change in data custodianship. It's the change in the vendor relationship, the ability to use blockchain and smart contracts. What does this do for payments? And let's please not talk about cryptocurrency. What does it do around data mobility, onboarding processes and even looking for a new job? What does this look like for an organization?
1: From a payroll perspective, I think it alleviates the burden that most payroll organizations have, whether it's an uh, an in-house captive uh, situation or an outsourced situation, to ensure that they have timely data to maintain and um, present an employee with part of their employee value proposition, which is being paid on time and accurately. So there is no need for the payroll company to be concerned whether or not they're going to receive the information timely. There is no need for validation of said data, there is no need for anything that pertains to the employee again. And assuming that the organization has embraced the same concept, the employer, the same need for comfort or or the same comfort feeling in terms of the quality of data should exist on the employer and employee side. Now, the payroll company evolves to much more of a service provider to the employee and to the company than simply a transactional uh, partner what do i mean by that that's where the payroll company can start aggregating data uh, on multiple employees and start presenting value-add activities back to the employer where they can say here's what we're actually able to derive by processing payroll on your behalf in terms of uh, retention strategies Uh, and by analyzing payroll data They can now add value to the employer with insights that the employer may not have had the ability to do so, especially when it's contextualized to an industry or to a geography.
2: So, as we look to the future in utilizing blockchain, the individual has the ownership to turn on the key. If they're looking for a new role and they apply for new roles, they truly need to turn on the key, and the employer has the data at their fingertips to process the application, manage the recruiting process, and take it all the way into the full life cycle of the employee. The mobility becomes uh, very fluid. The employee experience uh, becomes uh, very expedient and real-time. So talent management becomes easier for organizations, but the individual has the highest experience uh, much more so than today, it creates that competitive advantage for organizations to expedite their recruiting, their onboarding, and then engage the individual into their new role um, very quickly. And so, the benefits of having the mobility around the data movements, you know, are really key for organizations uh, to meet business demands.
0: I think this there's some very practical things that this is going to shift and change and. Um, And those are really good examples of the kind of things that will enable, you know, we we've had conversations already with uh, with organizations about how long it takes for somebody who starts at their job to actually receive their first paycheck. Right, because if you didn't hit the payroll cycle at the right time, if you didn't get the data into all the critical systems and have it propagated, as Demetrius mentioned, across all of the relevant vendors to process their paycheck or make sure that their insurance is properly set up, you know, this shift allows that immediacy where maybe you'll have access to your insurance provider right away and you don't need to plan your doctor's visit for, you know, a month from your start date and you might have access to your money immediately instead of waiting for an extra pay cycle. So there's some really tangible benefits that the employee is going to get. And I think ultimately improve the relationship between employee and employer overall.
2: And one question I have for actually Demetrius because he is out enabling organizations. And so this is uh, real life examples for um, the work uh, that he's leading. I'm just curious if there are different, I'll say marketing, when we talk about education and really embracing the concepts. Are there different brand and marketing aspects that we need to consider as an organization as we continue to evolve to this future model?
1: I think... um... Brand and marketing is, is evolving in many, many ways, uh, and we, we're seeing it. Most organizations are declaring themselves uh, to be either in a transitional uh, stage or have already made that transition. And I'll give you the example of uh, Ford, which no longer brands itself as a automaker, but as a technology company. So I think as that evolution is happening, uh, not only do we need to be rethinking our brand and our mission, uh, kind of revisiting the, the reason why we're in, in, in existence in business, but also how do we market our services to uh, others because the traditional means of marketing are, are quickly fading away with the, the emergence of digital natives being our main consumers.
2: So this is an opportunity for organizations to reinvent themselves as they're embracing the new technology and the evolution. And I think that's an important part of the change management, Mm -hmm. um, not only for an HR organization or payroll organization, but also for the entire enterprise to understand the importance of rebranding, to attract the right talent and uh, really level set the expectation you know that we are leveraging technology and optimizing you know the future trends uh so very important for organizations to be aware
0: absolutely, especially as they compete for for workforces, right I think who's going to be mm-hmm. first in enabling these kind of changes and benefits uh who's going to then articulate that and rebrand themselves to get employees to join to to win over talent. Um, especially as that competition starts to become more global. And uh, Demetrius, you had mentioned that education is a critical enabler, an important step in preparedness for this change. So besides this episode, what other resources, books, videos, podcasts, white papers, whatever, do you suggest our listeners check out to learn more about blockchain, to learn more about the change in data ownership and custodianship What are some resources you would encourage people to go check out?
1: I would definitely encourage people to listen to uh, TEDx um, uh, presentations around the future of technology, because everything starts being uh, contextualized better once you start understanding how we're going towards quantum computing and thereby a change in the paradigm of how data the analog and digital system will change uh, forever. The second thing that I would also recommend is familiarizing uh, oneself with uh, uh, blockchain and what that blockchain protocol does. And I think we've all been exposed, as you mentioned, to the cryptocurrency side of blockchain, but there is much more to it, intended or unintended, because I actually think it was unintentional, that somebody created blockchain and and had the potential that it has to change the world that we perceive today uh forever um because it was it was meant for cryptocurrency but i think cryptocurrency is just an an outcome or a byproduct of blockchain and the third thing is i would say upskill and reskill oneself in terms of what they do today in the context of a world where data becomes paramount and, and central to being safeguarded because we've had way too many instances in, in, in today's world where uh, data has been um, uh, stolen, data has been uh, hacked, and data has actually mm-hmm. been uh, uh, locked, you know, as in the case of uh, the uh, the pipeline, the recent pipeline uh incident where you're actually prevented from even accessing the data that's what actually happened there the ransomware situation there was that the hackers were not allowing the company access to their own systems
0: yeah and and i think this this idea of the decentralization of data has the you know the consequence of making it more challenging to hack to to make a significant um, impact on di- and disruption in the economy as well, right? The just the the fact that it's individuals that will have their data and will have the key and the ability to issue access, uh, and not a single organization that may be holding on to millions of records.
1: Absolutely, uh, I would also say that if if it's created by a human, that means it can actually be uh, hacked. Uh, So blockchain has been created by humans. And that means somebody who understands how blockchain works potentially could could really find ways to jeopardize the data integrity there. Right now, what prevents that from happening is the computing power that exists in commercial use today Mm -hmm. doesn't have the ability to do so. But I think once we get into quantum computing, then some of the thinking that exists today about the security and safety of blockchain would have to be revisited and and refreshed as well.
0: But you don't see these as uh, troubling enough to prevent us from marching towards that future, because you still see that as a more secure way of maintaining data um, and uh, a more, you know, a, and a better way to enable practitioners to have kind of more strategic roles in a company than than anything else that's in existence today. Is that right?
1: Absolutely, and I think the, the 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 space in terms of people that understand both content computing and blockchain is extremely limited, and it, it will never present enough of a, a an issue uh, at least for the foreseeable future, to prevent anybody from moving into what is now a very, very secure mm-hmm. uh, means of data storage and uh, data propagation under the blockchain uh, protocol. In addition to that, I would say there is investment being made uh, and thinking already uh, around the blockchain 2.0 and the iterations that will, uh, you know, ensue post. I would say general adoption Mm -hmm. of those concepts in order to continue evolving the model. The assumption is that anything that we create eventually will become obsolete, but we as species have the ability to continue evolving the thinking.
2: And David, uh, I just wanted to add as well. Back with this uh, false sense of security, over the holidays, I had the ability to send some friends a few gift cards and many of them did not arrive at in their mailbox or, you know, even through express delivery. So what we consider today some of our secure methods of delivery. Whether that is checks going through the U.S. mail, um, which there are still many paychecks and many personal checks, you know, being sent through the U.S. mail, many of them uh, do not arrive at their intended designation. And so this is the paradigm change as well to move to blockchain. We have to understand the methods that we're using today. While we may uh, believe they're secure, they're not really secure. Our data is not secure. If we're putting something in a mailbox, we have no idea who's touching it on the other end, where it's actually being delivered to, and that may have personal information, especially if it contains a personal check. And then you move to our applications, as we discussed. We really have limited um, availability to understand when it's hacked, who's using it. Many times I log on to my uh, iPhone will tell me my passwords have been compromised and I should go in and change those passwords. So this is all a journey of understanding, you know, how do we best prepare and how do we ensure we have that security um, in the future? Because it really does not exist today as much as uh, we we really spend millions on personal uh, security and also on employee uh, data security.
0: That's a great point, right? We are not trying to march towards perfect here. We're, we're moving to better. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much, Linda and Demetrius. Um, I hope you come back to talk to us about these changes as they start to make uh, their you know, inroads into organizations. But at this point, thanks so much for appearing on the Payday podcast.
2: David, thank you for the opportunity. This is such an important topic and we need to understand the trends in the marketplace. And this is a trend um, that there really is not a lot of information uh, for, organizational leaders to understand, to plan in their strategies. And so thank you for taking the time to host such an important topic. It was a pleasure to, to be here with both yourself and Demetrius.
1: Linda and I consider ourselves uh, evangelists because um, we truly believe that this is good news. Uh, we truly believe that this is a, a movement towards uh, betterment of um, uh, not only the payroll industry, but in general, consumer and employer data. And uh, appreciate that CloudBay is giving us this uh, platform and uh, podcast opportunity.
0: Great. Well, we hope you come back. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Payday Podcast. I'm your host, David Barak, and this show is a product of Cloudpay and its incredible teams. To listen to more episodes, look for us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us at cloudpay.com.